In the second half of last year, I started a series on the book of Galatians. Um, Five parts, and this is the final part. And I know that it's been very ad hoc. Um, There have been some very long pauses between uh, the different... um, the different lessons, but I truly believe that the Lord has orchestrated where each of these lessons has been positioned. Um, I, I believe that the content of this this last lesson fits in with the preaching and the teaching that we've heard um, in recent weeks. Um, so just because something doesn't seem to go in a, in a normal order... Um, in five different weeks for a five-week course, God has a hand in, in how he ministers to his church. All right, so I'll go over the introductory things each time because you've probably forgotten it by each time that we get to it. So the theme of the book of Galatians is don't get fooled into following false doctrine. No matter how good or reasonable it sounds, stick to the full truth of God's Word. That is the theme in a nutshell. So, Galatia. Galatia was not a city or a town, uh, but it was a region. It was a Roman province. And the Roman province of Galatia included many regions, uh, many of which are referred to in the book of Acts. Eastern Phrygia, Lycaonia, Isioria, Pisidia, and Pamphylia. If I can get the next slide, which will show some of those regions. And so on Paul's first missionary journey, um, went through Cyprus and up into Pamphylia, and then that green bit there, um, going all the way up through the top, is Galatia. Um, which includes Antioch and Pisidia, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And you can see that um, from the first point of call, Antioch, they went down and to the right, or to the east, um, all the way to Derby, and then back through the same cities on the way back. And there was much persecution um, from the Jews, those who were supposed to know the word of God, but they didn't realize, they didn't know what time it was, that it was God's time to, for the church to come in and, and that the, uh, the people of God um, did not need to follow the full law as the Jews believed that anyone who was going to follow God needed to follow that full law. And so there were people that persecuted Paul from city to city in Galatia, being very zealous for what they believed was the truth. And they were telling them that to be saved, they had to be circumcised. And that's not something that God has given to the church today. Something that was part of the Old Testament, part of the old, uh, of the law. And God has not called us to be under the law. And that's something that Paul had to deal with quite often in his messages in his sermons to, in his letters to the different churches and regions. 
And then the next slide um, shows Paul's second missionary journey where he basically went straight up um, through his, his hometown in Cilicia, Tarsus, and then uh, through those same cities in Galatia. Um, very, uh, very important area. Um, and the third missionary journey is almost an exact copy of, of that second one. Um, going through the, the same cities in the same order. All right. So in our last lesson, next slide, we finished off looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 to 15. It says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. Because God has given us a freedom in him, that doesn't mean we get to do what we want and call it of God. But by love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So all of the laws of the Old Testament were trying to force the Jews, the people who were incredibly stubborn and proved it over, over many, many hundreds of years, to, to actually force them to actually do the right thing by other people, um, by their neighbor, by the, the rest of the, the Jews, but it wasn't in their hearts. And so they continued to go away from God and, and to treat their neighbor, their, their, their fellow, uh, fellow Jew, uh, incorrectly and in, in a very bad way sometimes. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. There are consequences if we don't love. And if we don't love the person next to us in church or the person across from us in the church or the person that we try to avoid each time we come into the church, if we don't have a good relationship with all of the other people in the church who God has put in our path, then there can be some very big issues and some very big problems. And so Paul has given us a very big warning. So let's move on. Galatians 5, 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. If we're following the spirit, if we're walking the way that God wants us to walk, if we're trying to do the things that God wants us to do, then we're not going to fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We're not going to fall into sin. We're not going to do things against the people in the church because we're walking in our own carnal flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary or opposed, one, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. We all have a carnal nat nature within ourselves. We all have the ability to just be selfish and just want to please only ourselves and to think that we're the most important person in the world and that everybody else should fit in with us. And that anything that gets done against us needs to be dealt with in some way. But that's not the way it should be in the church. The flesh that we have in us, the carnal nature, the thing that rises up in us whenever we feel like we've been slighted or, or been given the raw end of the stick, that needs to be pushed down. That needs to be surrendered to Christ. 
5.18, but if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. We don't need to do the things of the law. Remember that Paul was writing to a group of people who had had a a lot of opposition by the Jews who wanted them to follow the law and circumcision in particular. They wanted them to be bound by that. But as we, we looked at from last lesson, we've been called to liberty. Liberty from following those those restrictive laws, but he's given us the law in our hearts, or rather the, the things that, that the law should have been doing in people's hearts and should have been helping people to do. God has given us the ability to have his law in our hearts. We're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are mani- manifest, which are these. Adultery, which is sexual relations with a married person. Fornication, sexual relations between single or unmarried persons, including prostitution and harlotry. Uncleanness, which is moral impurity. Whatever, basically whatever is the opposite of purity. And could also be referring to things like homosexuality and bestiality. Lasciviousness, or lust, wantonness. Idolatry, the worship of idols, witchcraft, sorcery, magical arts often used in connection with idolatry, hatred, personal animosities, or feeling hatred against others, particularly in the church, but doesn't have to be in the church, which is opposed to brotherly love and kindness, which God has called us to. Variance, rivalry, discord, contests, altercations, fights, lawsuits and disputes in general, especially between our brothers and sisters, but not just our brothers and sisters. Emulations, which is basically jealousy, strife, um, or fighting to excel or achieve at the expense of another person or lowering another person to set yourself up as better than them. Wrath, stirring emotions, then explosions. I like that description. Passionate outbreaks. And strife, people disputing together or having a strife about words, fighting about words. Seditions, factions, people splitting into groups to the harm of what is meant to be a unified church body. Divisions or splits in two. Heresies, unbiblical ideas that start being believed by a small faction but then become deep-rooted in the church. And then envyings, which is... Feelings of ill will against someone for no good reason. Murders, which is pretty self-explanatory. But if you also recall that if you hate a brother in your heart, then it's the same as murder. Drunkenness, drunken excesses. Revelings, which is an old word also used for drinking parties like those in honour of of Bacchus, who was supposedly a Greek and Roman god of wine and giver of ecstasy. And such like. So that's not an exhaustive list. <laughs> There's a lot more things and many things like those that are not actually specifically given here, but fit into those same categories of things. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things 
shall not inherit the kingdom of God. That's pretty plain. That's a list of things that's going to keep you out of heaven. That's a list of things that should never be in our lives. And if they are, then they need to be gotten rid of pretty quick. They need to be repented of. They, they need to, to, uh, be given, we need to be given victory over those things. It's important. It's, it's, it's salvation important. I find it really interesting how supposed lesser problems like hatred, uh, variance, um, emulations, basically jealousy and envyings are scattered in the middle of what most church people would classify serious sins and problems like adultery, idolatry, witchcraft, heresies, murders and drunkenness. It tells us that God doesn't categorize or rate sin. There is no list of sin. This is the worst one. Make sure you keep away from this. This one isn't, isn't so bad. It's still sin, not so bad. So you don't have to worry about it so much. No. It tells us that sin is sin. There are no lesser sins and there are no greater sins. They go, went through the list and they say all of these things are what's going to keep you out of the kingdom of God. We can't afford to be fighting amongst ourselves. That's one of those things. We can't afford to be envious or jealous of other people. We can't afford to hate our brothers and our sisters in Christ. All of these things are going to keep us out of the kingdom of God. All sin is equal in his sight and is just as much in need of repentance and deliverance as each of the others. Then we move on to the good things. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Love is an intense desire to please God and to do good to mankind. God calls us to love. He showed his love toward us on the cross. And he calls us. When we have his spirit within us, we are able to love even the unlovable. Joy is a feeling, an exaltation, something that rises up within us, uh, a, a, a knowledge that God has saved us, that he has um, forgiven all of our sin and that we are able to go to heaven. This joy is not necessarily a good feeling, uh, sorry, it's not necessarily uh, uh, an intensely happy feeling that you get all of the time, but you can have joy in trials. You can have joy when everything seems to be going wrong. You can get a peace within yourselves. You can look to heaven. You can look to where God's mercy and His grace and His forgiveness of your sin and you can have a joy within you. Peace. God gives us a calm, a rest, a quiet into our soul. Instead of the doubts, the fears, the alarms and and dreadful forebodings of, of bad things to come, which happens to most people in the world because they don't have God. And they, I don't know how anybody in the world can have peace because things will happen in people's lives and even in our lives. But with God, he gives us a peace that passes all understanding because a peace that passes all understanding is only because 
it comes at times when there can be no peace. You, you can't understand why you've got this peace within yourself when everything is going topsy-turvy and everything is, is, is in turmoil in your life, but that is because there is a peace that God gives. When you don't know the outcome of something and God suddenly gives you a peace, that is the fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering. Bearing with the frailties and the provocations of others and not blowing up at the first sign that it comes. Being long-suffering, allowing things to happen and not trying to, to fight back, not getting uh, a hatred or a bitterness or an anger within our souls and allowing God to sort things out. Gentleness. Just being gentle with other people, not, not uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not harsh and, and not uh, biting with our words or with our comments, which um, things like sarcasm probably um, fit in with this uh, as an opposite to gentleness. Goodness is just being good and wanting to be good, wanting to, to get rid of all evil, wanting and, and, and actually being good within ourselves, not allowing ourselves to, to sin, but being pure within our mind and our motives and our heart. Faith is really talking about faithfulness. It's doing what we say we're going to do, as well as having faith in God that he is going to, um, sometimes supernatural faith, that he's going to do what he said he's going to do and that he's going to keep us through. Meekness, mildness, being forgiving towards the people who are weak and who go into error and not lifting yourself up, not being proud, but Allowing yourself to go through some junk and rubbish at the hands of other peoples without feeling a spirit of revenge. That's not always easy to do. An even balance of all tempers and passions, the entire opposite to anger. Temperance, self-government, moderation. Particularly with regard to our appetites, as Brother Woodward um, so excellently spoke to the men the other week. Moderation and eating, drinking, sleeping, and in, in everything that we do, having a balance in what we do. And the very last part says, against such there is no law. It's specifically referring to the law of uh, the Jews when it, it's talking to that. Um, the things that, that the God's Spirit brings into our lives and the fruit, that, that means the fruit is, is just what naturally comes when, when something is healthy. When a tree is healthy, when it's fed, when it's given the right environment and it's watered and, and, and it's got the right things happening to it, then it's going to bring forth fruit. And when we allow God's Spirit to be in our lives and to get into the very heart and the depth of our being, 
and to change and wash over us and make us new, then the fruit is that we're going to see all of those things in our lives. Some of us are naturally more meek or naturally more temperate or naturally more loving. And other people struggle with those same things. Across this, this place, we, we've probably got people who are naturally um, uh, are naturally good in, in, in different parts of these nine fruits of the Spirit. But no one is naturally gifted or, or has it naturally coming from their own personality or their own spirit, all of them. So we're going to struggle in different areas of our lives to get close to God and to allow his fruit to come forth from us. But when we do, when we are close to him, then we will see changes in every single one of those parts of our lives, especially the ones that we find most um, most difficult. We really don't have any excuse to say, well... You know, I'm not, I'm not temperate. You know, I, I, I get angry. I, I fly off the handle. Um, that's just me. No, no. Not with Jesus. That's not you. That's not you. God has given you the ability and the power to overcome. And it goes for every single one of them. I'm not a loving person. Well, God has given you the ability to love. And I could go through every single one of those He has given us that ability. And when we are close to him, when we allow him to really get into the very center of our being, then we will see those changes. We will see the fruit, the effect of his spirit in us. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Living in the Spirit speaks of being filled with the Holy Ghost for the first time and the inner change to be more like Jesus that that first infilling brought about. Walking in the Spirit refers to how we are outwardly changed because of having Jesus living inside of us that first time. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another, We've just looked at two lists and, and on each of those lists we have things like this, desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another as being things not to do and then the opposite of those things in the fruit of the Spirit. It should be a natural flow on from following the Spirit, from walking in the Spirit, from allowing the Spirit to move on us continually. It's not just a once-off thing. Boom, you're following the Spirit, you're living in the Spirit, and all of a sudden you've got all this fruit. But God works on us. God moves on us. God deals with us. And as we allow Him to, He gives us that fruit. And once we get that fruit, it doesn't mean that we've got it forever and that we can never fall back into our flesh. No, no, we have a flesh. And we have things that we need to fight against. But when we walk in the Spirit when we allow the Spirit to move on us, when we want to follow Him, when we choose to do the things that please Him, then His Spirit will work on us and help us to be more like Him. And things like 
people lifting themselves up, vainglory, pride, provoking one another, having fights, doing things to deliberately hurt others, envying other people, wanting them to fall or to have something bad happen to them. Those things should never be in our lives. There's no excuse for those things. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. So no pride, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. It's really talking about spiritual pride here. Those which are spiritual here referred to men and women who were both living and walking in the Spirit, as we have just read. These people were especially given the responsibility of not allowing a fallen brother or sister's guilt to destroy them. So we who are walking in the Spirit, we who are following God, we who have the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, we should be encouraging and lifting up people in the church. When they fall, when they don't do the things that they should, when they, they, they are feeling guilty about what they have done, rather than letting it destroy them, there should be an encouraging hand. There should be a lifting up of the Spirit. There should be an encouragement to say, hey, come on, you can keep going. You can keep doing this. You can, you can do this. And it specifically says to do it in the spirit of meekness. If we do it feeling proud that we are not the ones in that situation, if we do it feeling proud and better than the other person, then we're doing it in the wrong spirit and in the wrong attitude. And we can also fall because we're not doing it in that right spirit. None of us are better than anyone else. We all have the ability to fall and sin. And so there are going to be different times when each of us are going to need to be lifted up. We should never look down on anyone for their faults, their failings, and their weaknesses. But we should always encourage. Because you don't know when it's going to be you on the other end. Bear you one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're not talking about the law of the Jews, but the law of Christ. And when we pray for one another, when we help each other to rise up from when they fail, we're fulfilling his law. We're, we're loving our neighbor. Remember we just talked about the fulfilling of the law being loving our neighbor as ourselves. This is the fulfilling of the law of Christ. To lift one another up and not tear down and not feel like we're better than them. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. It's talking about someone being proud that they haven't fallen, that they're, they're, they're great, that everything's fine in their lives, that... There's no sin that, you know, they're, they're doing great and, and they're looking down on other people saying, well, you know, I'm glad I'm not like them. And, but it's talking, but when, when you think yourself to be something, then 
there's usually something wrong with you. And you're deceiving yourself when you're doing that. Because just that, that proud thought, that proud um, mindset in your mind means that you're failing and you're in the wrong place with God. Paul warned his audience to beware of judging another's poor spiritual condition while ignoring their own poor spiritual condition. Each Christian is responsible to prove his own work, to follow God correctly and to take joy in it themselves, not to take joy in supposedly being better than their other brothers and sisters in the Lord. For every man shall bear his own burden. We're responsible we're, we're responsible for our actions. We're responsible for our walk with God. We're responsible for putting down our flesh. Let him that is taught in the word communicate to him, unto him that teaches in all good things. In return for being taught in the word, the pupil was to see to the living needs of the teacher. In other words, they deserve payment for what they did. And it's a principle that those who, who do something um, and receive something um, should, should minister to the needs of the other. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Paul, echoing his warning in verse 1 of chapter 6, which you looked at before, applied this principle to those who were tempted by spiritual pride, as we just discussed. God's not mocked. Whatever we sow, that we shall also reap. If we're proud, then we're going to reap the consequences of being proud. For he that sows to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. The works of the flesh, if you sow to your, your flesh, if you do the works of the flesh, if you're proud, if, if you do all of those things, you're going to reap corruption, you're going to reap sin, you're going to reap death. But he that sows to the Spirit, if you allow God to work on you, to, to let the Spirit move in, in your, your, your souls, then you're going to reap life everlasting because you've got that fruit You've got that evidence that God is working in your life. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. If we do well, we're going to see the benefits of that in our own lives and with others. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith, loving our brothers, loving others. Fulfilling the fulfillment of the law. You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine own hand. This is Paul talking. And we're going to go a little bit into that in just a moment. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. They want, there were people that were persecuting these churches, they were coming in, they were saying, you need to be circumcised to be, fulfill the law to, do, law, to do everything that God wants you to do. But they're only doing it 
because they know that they're going to be persecuted themselves if they don't do that. It was a very um, strong symbol of being a Jew, of following the law of God. For neither they themselves who were circumcised keep the law. The law itself was pretty much impossible to keep because the people who tried to follow the law were trying to do it in their own flesh, in their own desire, and, and the flesh is strong. Without the Spirit of God in them, without God living inside of them from day to day, it was not possible for them to live perfectly in the law. That's why there were sacrifices. That's why there were so many sacrifices that they needed to give again and again because they kept trespassing against God and against others because it wasn't in their hearts. It was a, it was a law. It was, it was something in their mind that they were trying to follow. But the flesh is, is in, in people's hearts and is strong. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh, as though they were doing something special and something necessary. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. We are crucified by Christ. We are crucified with Christ in baptism. For in Christ Jesus... Neither circumcision avails anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. There's no need for these outward signs anymore. There's no need for these physical things to be done, but it's a new creature. It's being new inside. It's being a new person, which is going to show on the outside, which is going to have an effect. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy and upon the God, sorry, upon the Israel. Of God. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul suffered many, many, many things. Over many, many, many years. He was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned. And, and it goes on and on and on of all the things that he had to suffer for Jesus. And that left marks, that left scars in his body. But he's saying it doesn't matter what you go through, it's worth it. It doesn't matter what persecution or what resistance there is, it's worth it, following the truth of God's word. No matter how good the false doctrine may appear. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. To the Galatians written from Rome. So Rome, so Paul would have been in prison at this time or under house arrest. Paul usually had an amanuensis, uh, which is a big word for a person employed to take dictation of copy or, or copy manuscripts to take di di dictation of or to copy manuscripts. Basically a secretary, someone who wrote down something as they were talking. So he had this secretary, he normally had a secretary to write his letters for him while he dictated them. However, the urgency of the situation apparently did not allow him the time or the luxury to purchase this help. 
This was an important letter. This was something important that needed to get to the church who was under such persecution with these people who were coming in trying to force them to, to follow this false teaching for the church. Uh, yep. He wrote this letter in his own hand. There was no time for him to get this help. The Galatians would have noticed the letter's unusually large handwriting. And Paul referred to it here. It is likely that he had to write in a large hand because his sight was extremely poor. Once, while trying to read a speech to a group of disgruntled army officers, George Washington, whose eyesight had grown dim, fumbled for his glasses. As he put them on, he begged his audience's pardon, saying, I have grown old in service to my country and now find that I am going blind. The sympathy this statement provoked changed the attitudes of the audience immediately. It is not difficult to imagine that the Galatians too, perhaps remembering here the kindness and love of Paul and the illness with which he was afflicted when he first brought them the gospel, came to this portion of the letter and saw it in a new light. Paul had grown old, feeble and battered in his service to them, which just made the letter of more importance. It made the letter speak more to them with his reminders that he had gone through so much to bring them the truth and that they should not, um, should not walk away from it right now. If we could stand this morning. I'm not going to call an order call, but I feel like the Lord is moving on people's hearts this morning. We talked in some length about the works of the flesh and the works of the spirit. And maybe you've been excusing some things in your life that will keep you out of heaven. Or maybe you are not finding the fruit of the spirit in your life in the way that it should be. I just would ask that if we would all lift our hands across this place this morning and reach out to the Lord. His presence is here. He wants to minister to you. He wants to help you in those areas in which you find difficult or challenging or something that is very deeply ingrained in your personality that has such a stronghold on you. He wants to make a change and a difference in your life right now. It will cost us walking in the Spirit. It will cost us putting down our flesh. But His Spirit is more powerful than this world. His Spirit is more powerful than anything that we have inside of us. And when we walk in the Spirit, when we allow Him to move on us, then those are the things that need to go. The works of the flesh, any envy or hatred or, or, or jealousy or strife or you know, fighting with each other or having hatred towards each other. Lord Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would, Lord, move on our spirits this morning.